0: everyone's building a kingdom you're either building your own kingdom or you're building god's kingdom no middle ground you're either egocentric or egocentric it's all about you and what you want to get out of this world around you or it's theocentric it's about how god is the center of your life and although he gives you all these pleasures and all these things the creation the enjoyment of everything that is good your paramount your ultimate objective your ultimate pursuit is to be god-centered Today, 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 with Jeff Vines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Hello, and welcome. My name is Bill, and this is Today with Jeff Vines. We're in a new series from Pastor Jeff. He's talking about going all in, all in with our hearts, minds, and our relationship with Jesus. Today, we start with a message of loving people and loving God. Let's begin with Pastor Jeff, and he can explain more. I'm in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41 through 46, and I want to encourage you to turn there. We're going to read that text just in a moment. You know, right now, as you look around our world and the events happening, not only here in the US, but all around the world, if you have a basic knowledge of eschatology, you'll know that it appears uh, to the most basic theological mind that we are moving in what the Bible calls the the last days or the end times. Nobody knows the day or the hour, the month or the year, but Jesus himself warned us, And so did the Apostle Paul to watch out for the signs. When you see these things happening, when these things start culminating together, you'll know that the end is near. So one of the things that happened to me this year on my study break, and for those of you who don't know what that is, I go away uh, for about four or five weeks every year and I ask God where he wants us to take his church. It is his church, it's not mine. So God, give me the word, give me the revelation. Where do you want us to take your church in the coming year? And I was amazed at how oftentimes, as I began to write these new series, how often it had to do with the coming of Christ. So there are four parables that Jesus told near the end of his life, and those four parables had to do with the end times. Uh, We did a series this year called uh, The Return of the Gods, and I think there needs to be a, a second part of The Return of the Gods because demonic oppression, possession, and influence in our world today is paramount. We need to understand what it is and how to deal with it. And tracing demon possession to the Old and the New Testament gives us great insight into how the church is supposed to respond. Now, having said all of that, we're going to go through, and I'm just laying the ground, we're going to have an incredible journey. Those of you who are following us online, I want to encourage you to not miss a weekend. It's just going to go from strength to strength, and we're going to have our eyes opened about what God is doing around the world and how we're supposed to be living. And these are trying times, and it's important to determine right now what kingdom you're actually living for. Are you in the kingdom of Christ, or are you still building your own kingdom? So, As we embark on this new journey and a new season, I think there is a crucial question. Every Christ follower, no matter where you are, it's applicable to our church, but it's also applicable to any Christ follower around the world. And there is a question you need to ask yourself. Now is the time. You know, C.S. Lewis, when he talked about morality as a proof of the existence of God, he says all of us have this sense of right and wrong that's innate that is part and parcel of being created in the image of God. So he said, since that's true, since we all have an understanding of right and wrong, then there must be God. Somebody planted that system within every one of us. Now, that's a long conversation, but I love the illustration he used. He said, if, if, if you were to have attached to you a tape recorder that recorded everything you said throughout the course of your life, and every time you use the word ought like you ought to do this or you ought to do that, the red light would come on, it would record it and capture it. And then on the day of the coming of Christ, you were only held responsible for every time you said ought. When you told somebody else, they ought to tell the truth. You ought to have character and integrity. And if God judged us, not by the Mosaic code, not by the 10 commandments, but simply judged us by our own sense of morality, we would all fail. Often what we tell others they ought to do, we don't do ourselves. Now I wanna take that illustration and come at it from a different angle. If I, this is the question, if I followed you around for the next say two months and I recorded everything you said, all your conversations and I watched your actions, what would I learn about you? What is your life really about? What do you talk most about? What drives you? What is the purpose of your life? What gives you meaning? What are you pursuing? What makes your heart beat a little bit faster? What are you most passionate about? Not what you say you're most passionate about, but what your life actually reflects that you're most passionate about. What would it be? I like to think of it in three words, priority, passion, and purpose. You have other priorities, you have other passions, and you have other purposes in your life, but what is paramount in your life? If you imagine a triangle, and I list all the things, your passions and purposes, but it came to the end of the, the point of the triangle, we only had room to write one thing. What would the one thing be? What is the overarching meaning, purpose, goal, objective of your life? Now, The passage that I told you to turn to is a passage that bothered me for years. It's an end time parable. And basically the Bible tells us when Jesus returns, he's gonna separate all people into two groups. There's no middle group. There's not a third or fourth group, two groups, sheep and goats. The goats are on the left, the sheep are on the right. And then he says this, and I'm in verse uh, 41 of chapter 25. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are accursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. Verse 44, they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Now it's a simple enough parable, but here's the problem. It almost appears that you and I are saved by works. In other words, if I, as long as I feed the hungry and clothe those who need clothing and visit the sick and those in prison, I'm saved. The problem is that's the antithesis of what is written in the gospels and in especially in the book of Romans, which is a theological treatise of the gospel. Paul tells us that we're saved by grace through faith. Romans chapter two, Romans chapter five, Romans chapter eight. There's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are saved by the blood of the lamb, not by our good works. We can't merit salvation. So if that's true, how can I solve the tension between this passage where Jesus says that you've got sheep and goats And here's how you know the difference. The righteous fed those who were hungry, clothed those who needed clothing, visited the sick, visited those in prison. How can I I solve this tension? And it's very easily solved if you understand the teachings that go all the way from Genesis to Revelation. And it's this, there is a cause and effect in the world that we live in. You've heard me use that terminology quite often there is a cause and effect to the gospel. Paul said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So my passions are no longer my own. The passions I have in my life and my heart come from Christ dwelling inside me. We also use the terminology that he changes, that is the spirit of God changes not only what you do, but what you want to do. So what we mean is that if you're truly saved, there are gonna be byproducts. Now, no one knows to what degree You're still saved by faith through grace or by grace through faith, but when a person generally has a conversion experience, there's a transformation called sanctification And the Holy Spirit of God himself comes on the inside. And suddenly what you didn't have a passion before, you now have a passion for. You have a passion for the word of God. Doesn't mean you read it perfectly. Doesn't mean you read it all the time, but you have a passion for the word of God. You have a passion to be part of God's kingdom. You have a passion for sexual purity. You have a passion for worship. When somebody says to me, and I often hear this by the next generation, well, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. That's like saying I don't have to go to a Laker game to be a Laker fan The the question is not what you have or have not to do The question is where's your passion? Why on earth would a Christ follower not want to be assembled together with Christ followers? I mean all of heaven is going to be you in community with fellow believers So if you don't want to do that here, why would you want to do that there? Now I know that we're not perfect pragmatically speaking We're still going to struggle with the old man, I get that But I want you to see that where there's genuine conversion, your passions change. Jesus enters your life and you see things you've never seen. You feel things you've not felt and you're able to have a sense of volition. You do things you've not been able to do before. So you find yourself praying for your enemies or forgiving those who offend you or or controlling your temper or seeking the welfare of others. Not perfectly, not pragmatically, without fault, but there's a passion It's called sanctification. You are moving, you are growing from glory to glory. He changes not only what you do, but what you want to do. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now, what is the greater point of all this? It goes back to the question that I believe is ultimate. And that is, what is your life ultimately about? I know you have other loves, but what is your supreme love? I know that you're involved in other tasks, but what is your supreme task?s I know you have other callings, but what is your overarching calling? We live in a world where we work, we marry, we have children, grandchildren, we pursue hobbies, and all of that is good to enjoy God's creation. But what is your ultimate pursuit? What is your ultimate objective? Your ultimate purpose? What is the meaning of your life? Now, quickly, what are the Old Testament books written by Solomon or the Teacher, as he's referred to? The Book of Ecclesiastes. What the writer does is he, it's like taking an onion and peeling back one layer after the next till you get to the core. And he said in his entire life, he tried wealth, he tried power, popularity, family, Marriage, friends, ease and comfort, luxury and pleasure. He tried all of them. And at the end of the book, he says, all is lost. All is in vain because it's meaningless. It's meaningless because it's all temporary. And then as a tired old man, near the end of the book, this is what he writes. This is Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13 and 14. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the duty of mankind For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Now, what's he saying there? Well, it's a long message and a long series. But ultimately, he says, it all comes down to this. Live for God and his purposes in the world. That is the ultimate, paramount objective of your life. And only that brings true meaning. In our church, we say we wanna bring those far from God near and we know to do that, we introduce them to Jesus Christ because he is eternal, he is everlasting. Now, let's go back just quickly. So, having heard these things, who are you really? Folks, this this is the ultimate question because it reveals your true identity. Everyone's building a kingdom. You're either building your own kingdom or you're building God's kingdom. No middle ground. You're either egocentric or egocentric. It's all about you and what you want to get out of this world around you. Or it's theocentric. It's about how God is the center of your life. And although he gives you all these pleasures and all these things, the creation, the enjoyment of everything that is good, your paramount, your ultimate objective, your ultimate pursuit is to be God-centered. If it's anything other than God-centered... Either one of two things has happened. Number one, you have not yet been indwelled by the power of the Holy Spirit, where it's not only you who lives, or no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. Or Christ has come into your life, but you're fighting against the Spirit, and you're not living according to the kingdom of God. Everybody has those choices. Now, the beautiful thing about being part of a church like One and All, and wherever you are around the world listening... I always encourage you to get involved in your local church if it's possible. I know in some places it's not because there's not a local church around you. But where it's a possibility, it's paramount because God has called you to use your talents and your gifts and your resources to build the kingdom of God in community. Not alone, not isolated, but in community. There is a calling on your life. And the beautiful thing about being part of a church like One and All is that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to come up with your own vision. You have a calling on your life. You have come to this church various ways, maybe online, maybe through the invitation of a friend, maybe through Google Maps, maybe you read a review somewhere and you found your way here, maybe through word of mouth. But the bottom line is you're here not because of any of those things. Those were just the means to get you here. You're here because God has called you here. And God is a wise investor. If he called you here, that means you have talents and abilities that he wants you to use so that we can build the kingdom of God together. That is the calling and that is the purpose of your life. And if you're part of a church like this, you don't have to find new ways to build Christ's kingdom. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. You just got to get on board with what God is already doing in his church. Over the years, one and all church, formerly called Christ Church of the Valley, has had three pastors, Ron Keller, Chuck Boer, and now Jeff Vines. Although we're very different, there's something very similar about us. All three of us, are unapologetically evangelistic. We have all been called to help people far from God come near to God. We may say it different ways, like love God, love people, love the world. But historically, God's hand, His, his anointing has been on this church and it has gone from success to success. We truly believe that we can have a fully devoted follower in every home in this valley. But to do so, we've begun to understand that you have to be intentional about that. You gotta count the cost. Before we go to battle, you gotta consider the plans that lead to success. Before you build a tower, Jesus said, you first must draw up the plans and consider the cost. And we refer to that at one and all as going all in. Now, I wanna take you a little bit of historical journey. And this is good for everyone to hear so you know a little bit more about us. A lot of visitors, a lot of new people coming to our church by the hundreds every weekend. It's important that you know who we are. If we go all the way back to 2010, God gave us a vision. We were busting at the seams on this campus, but we did not feel led by God to go in major debt to build something. We thought instead of going up, let's go wide. And so we had, God gave us a vision for four campuses that would surround this valley. And in the middle of those four campuses, we would have a care center. And that care center would feed and clothe and visit those in prison and, and counseling services free from addiction. All of these things, we wanted the pastors in these four campuses to have a place anytime they met someone with a need to be able to say, whatever your need is, we're not just going to pray for you. We're going to send you to a place called God's pantry and we're going to get that need met. Do you know the stories of all four campuses now where people have gone to God's pantry and they have been fed and clothed and counseled, discipled in many cases, and then have come back in to serve at God's pantry. This is an amazing miracle of God. No man is smart enough to come up with a vision like this. God said, I'm going to give you four campuses, and we just launched our fourth. So we have West Coe and Rancho and Upland and San Dimas campus. We are surrounding, in our mind, this valley with that care center in the middle. Do you know the miraculous nature of God's pantry and our local outreach? 2,500 families were taken care of per week during covid 2,500 families, food, clothing, education, counseling, free. Grants are now being given because the city of Pomona, as well as the state of California, recognizes God's pantry is doing something very unique. So now, once we invest, think about this, we invested as a people, and as a church, in this wonderful place that would be the city on the hill that could not be hidden, the place when people had needs, it would be the first place they thought about. We invested and God said, okay, because I see your heart, I'm going to grow this thing exponentially. Next thing you know, we're getting grants left and right to build on a bigger scale to help more people and to be a light to the people in this valley. When God calls you to do something, you better believe he assumes the responsibility to equip you to do it. Now, do you know that one and all church has gained a very positive reputation in our communities and among our city leaders. Not all of them, of course, but this is the reputation that we sought. We wanted to love and serve our community and our people with no strings attached. To do it because every person is created in the image of God. So now we have monthly serve projects in four cities to make us aware of and meet the needs of the less fortunate. We partnered with the Department of Child and Family Services for Pomona and L.A. Serenity Services. This year, we made 1,500 foster care kits for foster children, 1,500. We have cleaned up 10 parks, public parks. We partnered with Bob Hope USO as we made 3,000 hygiene kits for our military men and women who are deployed. We made meal kits for families in need and tornado victims. We collected and distributed 1,800 backpacks for a back-to-school project. In fact, on July 28th, just not too long ago, we served almost 1,000 children at a backpack school event offering backpacks, school supplies, free haircuts, and handles ice cream. We partner with Rancho Cucamonga, Fontana, Altaloma, Covina, Charter Oak, Ontario, Montclair, Upland, Bonita Unified, and West Covina school districts to meet the needs of children, the less fortunate in our communities. And all that coupled together with our toy store every Christmas when we see the smiles on these children's faces who would not have otherwise had a Christmas or Thanksgiving and food distribution, our ad hoc service projects. Our cities know we've surrounded the valley. They know they can count on us with no strings attached. And folks, all that's just a drop in the bucket of our ongoing food and clothing and counseling services that happen every month on all our campuses in partnership with God's Pantry. We're feeding clothing, helping somewhere around 10,000 families per month, 10,000 families per month, providing resources for the homeless, and currently, we have 200 active team members as part of the Compassion Network, helping with service projects in our local communities. Now, we could go on and on. However, we know benevolence is not enough. When we feed and clothe, visit those in prison, we show that we have been changed and transformed by the power of the Spirit of God. Yes, there is a cause and effect. If Christ is living in you, you automatically develop over time a compassion for the less fortunate. Less judgmental, more compassionate. However, we can give them food and feed them for a season, or we can give them Jesus and feed them for eternity. That's the reason you will constantly hear us say, one hope, one life, in Christ. The only food that lasts is spiritual food. The only clothing that lasts are the garments of salvation. The only, or only the robes of righteousness given by Christ himself can replace our filthy rags for all of eternity. Which is why here we believe that evangelism, benevolence good, compassion good, but evangelism is the key and the calling of every individual and of his church. We believe that in this time, in these days, evangelism is done best one-on-one. That's why we say one hope, one life in Christ. We are assuming that every member, if we are to go all in, will have one person in their life at any given moment that they're helping who is far from God come near to God. It may not happen overnight. It may not happen in a few weeks. It may be an experience a relationship, and at the right time, at the right moment, God opens the door and you walk the gospel in. We believe that one life is worth the investment of a lifetime. So we pray for open doors. We use phrases like walk across the room, be intentional. It does not happen without a plan. So we challenge our people, identify, ask God, who do you want to be my one life? And then start asking God, pray first, always pray. Pray that God would open a door. Pray that in this relationship, at some point in time, you would be asked the right question that would allow you to walk the gospel into a life that can be changed. That's why we say around here direction, not intention, determines destination. You gotta have direction. It won't happen just because you want it to. You've gotta make a plan, and the best plan starts with prayer. God, Identify someone in my life that you want me to help who is far from God so that I can bring them near to God. I and mean, in God, show me how. Open the door. There's not one way for everyone, but God will lead you because He has a heart that every sinner would repent. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. We not only want people who are far from God to come near to God, we want people near to God to come nearer. Why? Because we love you. And we know that your ability to weather the coming storm, it's coming. Your ability to weather the coming storm is directly related to your spiritual maturity. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts.